Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for giving us the word, this infallible and all-sufficient word that was breathed out by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are the one in the lives, working in the lives of the people through the word. I pray that you are work, you are at work here tonight. Give me the grace of the Holy Spirit to preach your word faithfully and give your spirit to those who are here tonight that their ears may be open to hear Christ. We pray us all in Christ's name. Amen. So, we have come to the last chapter in the Apostles' Creed. Really, the third part of the Apostles' Creed with, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So if you look at the Creed in your outline here, we start with, I believe in God the Father. Then we move to, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son. And now we start the last section with, I believe in the Holy Spirit. You can see we've got this really cool Trinitarian structure to the creed, and everything that is written after our portion tonight can be seen as things implemented or caused by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the work of the Spirit's all over the creed, even in the first two words with I believe. That statement of belief is only possible because the Spirit is at work. Without the Spirit, none of us could even say I believe in any true spiritual sense. He's the one who enables us to believe any aspect of the gospel and to truly confess any part of the creed. But what does it mean when we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit? When we confess our belief in the Holy Spirit, we are confessing our belief in who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. More specifically, we're confessing the theme in our outline that is, it is God, the Holy Spirit, who applies Christ's work to God's people. And if we're to confess our belief in the Holy Spirit, we need to know who we're confessing our belief in. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. When we speak of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we're speaking of one God in three persons. One being and three persons who are co-equal and eternally co-existing. So the Holy Spirit is as much a person as Jesus Christ. He is a person, but without a physical body. So turn with me to Acts chapter 5. You can find this on, in the Pew Bibles on page 913, 913. Starting in verse 3 of Acts chapter 5, it says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you have received for the land? Did it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. From this passage here in Acts, we see both the personhood and the deity of the Holy Spirit. You may be tempted to wrongly assume, like the, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, that the Holy Spirit's an impersonal force. It's the impersonal power of God, kind of like electricity that gets poured out from God whenever he wants to do something. But the Spirit's personhood is seen throughout the Bible. 
And here in Acts 5, we see his personhood through the fact that Ananias lied to him. You don't lie to a force. You don't lie to electricity. You lie to a person. Other examples of his personhood would be Ephesians 4.30, where it says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. So he has emotions just like a person would. And if that's not enough for you, in John 15, verse 26, Jesus explicitly calls the Holy Spirit a he. So we want to be clear, the Holy Spirit is a person and not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a blind force. The Holy Spirit is a he. And he is God. And here in Acts 5, the Holy Spirit is explicitly called God. Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit In the end of verse 4, Peter tells him, you have not lied to man, but to God. And throughout scripture, we have references to the Spirit's deity through his divine nature and his divine attributes. He's all-knowing, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. Whereas a person knows their inner thoughts, the Spirit of God comprehends the thoughts of God. He's all-present. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, the psalmist writes here that the Spirit's presence is throughout creation. He is all-powerful. Job 33.4, where he is the giver of life. And only God can give life. So because the Spirit is God, he can be everywhere, present in all of creation, at one time working simultaneously in the lives of all of God's people. So if he's working in their lives What is that work? Well, the main work of the Holy Spirit is to take the salvation that was purchased by Jesus Christ in his perfect obedience and atoning death on the cross and to apply that saving work to the hearts of God's people who were chosen by the Father. So you can see here that we always have this inter-Trinitarian work going on. You come to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. You come to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. So notice how we're going to God from God. It's all God. It's always all God. The only reason any of us are saved is because God has been working in you from the beginning to bring you back to himself. So there's no starting place for repentance outside of God. So when we say, when we confess that I believe in the Holy Spirit, we are confessing that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit applies the accomplishments of Christ to God's people. And so we see this work in the believer's initial salvation, ongoing salvation, and final salvation. The Holy Spirit has saved, he continues to save, and he will finish saving all of God's chosen people. So, what is his work pertaining to the application of initial salvation? There are four aspects I want to focus on. First is convicting and calling. The first step in coming to Christ, who's our salvation, is recognizing the need, isn't it? I mean, without knowing you need to be saved, you're never going to look for a savior. So turn with me to John chapter 16. That can be found on page 902 if you're using the Pew Bibles. John chapter 16. Starting in verse 7 of John 16, it says, 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus is telling the disciples here that he's going away. But he's going to send the helper to continue to do the work that he was already doing. Christ was the preacher and prophet. The, the Holy Spirit's going to be preaching Christ. Christ convicted the world, and the helper is going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And just like a judge in the courtroom, the Holy Spirit declares you guilty and convinces your hearts of stone that you're condemned under God because of your sin. This is a hard, yet a glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit because no one will be brought to the kingdom of God until they are deeply convicted of their sin. In order to call out to Christ, you need to see the level of righteous judgment from God that you are under. But man, in our fallen state, blind to sin. In fact, outside of Christ, we would be celebrating our sin. So that's why we need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to expose you to the truth of how heinous and offensive your sin is. You need the Holy Spirit to convince your heart that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This understanding only happens by the work of the Spirit because no one is sensitive enough to their sins to see them, to be grieved by them, to want to turn from them. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit doesn't just convict you and leave you. He doesn't just wave his finger at you and say, I'll see you on Judgment Day. No, he convicts you so that he may call you to repentance from your sins and into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Paul, writing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. It is the Holy Spirit who calls you into fellowship with Jesus Christ. And in reality, all three persons of the Trinity call you into Christ. God the Father draws us in John 6, 44, and God the Son calls his sheep in John 10, 4. And here we have the Holy Spirit joining the call of the Father and the Son, which is why the calling that God's people receive is so irresistible and so effective. Because you have not one, not two, but you have all three persons of the Trinity calling out to bring you from death into life into fellowship with Jesus Christ. And this calling comes both outward and inward. Romans 10, 14 says, How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There's an outward calling from the Spirit whenever the word is preached. And those who, have the, who the Spirit calls, hears this outward call, and they have an inward drawing of the Spirit that convicts them and calls them to repentance. And then, the Holy Spirit regenerates the lost who are being convicted and called. Regeneration is the Spirit's work in granting God's people spiritual life from the dead state they were in. Repentance is giving life where there was death. 
And without the Spirit's work, believers would have no spiritual life at all. Ephesians 2 tells us that we're dead in our trespasses and our sins. But God, in his great love, made us spiritually alive in Christ. Jesus Christ is our salvation. The Holy Spirit is how we have life in him. We see this life through the Spirit in John chapter 3. So let's turn there together. Uh, That can be found on page 887, John chapter 3. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. We're going to start in verse 3. So John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Here we get a beautiful picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's pictured as wind blowing where it wants. pictured as water that cleanses the soul at the moment of regeneration. It's the Holy Spirit who regenerates spiritually dead souls. It is the Holy Spirit who grants repentance and faith, and it is the Holy Spirit who turns the heart around. So no man, no group of people, no sheer force of will can regenerate a spiritually dead soul and give life to the spiritually dead heart, but only the Spirit of God. And this is the heart of the Christian's experience with the Spirit. Our core relationship with the Spirit lies in him bringing us from death to a living relationship with Christ. By the Spirit's life-giving work, believers are unified with Christ and therefore share in the benefits of Christ's saving work. And once more, when you are regenerated, when the Holy Spirit gives you repentance and faith and you call upon the name of the Lord, the Holy Spirit actually indwells you. He comes into you, and once he he moves in, he's not moving out. Our bodies become a humble residence for the Holy Spirit where he works in our lives and he baptizes us into the body of Christ. This This indwelling transforms children of wrath to adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. And it's the Holy Spirit who seals those newly adopted sons and daughters in Christ. So turn with me again to Ephesians chapter 1. I find that on page 976. Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. As believers, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. This seal is an identifying mark of ownership. 
When you come to Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It means you are marked as his. You are identified as sons and daughters of God, and nothing, nothing can separate you from your promised inheritance because of his unbreakable, irrevocable, unmovable seal that's put on you the moment you believe. You are sealed shut with Christ through the Holy Spirit. This indwelling and sealing by the Holy Spirit is in fact, it's a, de- it's a deposit. It's a down payment or a pledge, if you will, from God, guaranteeing that he will give you your full inheritance. You're actually receiving God as himself, God himself as a down payment, which can never be revoked. So when we confess our belief in the Holy Spirit, we're confessing that the Spirit makes us one with Christ and that we are authenticated, adopted, and secured in Christ. We are sealed with him. And the work of the Spirit doesn't end at conversion, does it? And it continues throughout the life of the believer. And so what is his work in that continuing salvation or sanctification? The Holy Spirit continues his work of salvation in the lives of believers by continually transforming them into the image of Christ. Every moment of every day, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and transforming you into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from, from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit works to shape you into the image of Christ by being your helper, by teaching you to obey God, by giving you the ability to do so through his power. So firstly, he helps us. The Holy Spirit is helpfully called the helper in John 14. The fact that the Holy Spirit is your helper, it encompasses tons of different ministries that the Spirit does within you. It helps, he helps you in your weaknesses. He advises you when you're confused. He comforts you when you're discouraged. He invigorates you when you're complacent, and he carries you forward to do the will of God. And he even intercedes for you, and he groans for you, when you're at your lowest point, when your grieving leaves you at a loss for what even to pray for. He is in you, he is with you, and he helps you to pray and to call out, Abba, Father. And secondly, the Holy Spirit guides and teaches us. Romans 8:14, for all who are led by the, by, by the Spirit of God are sons of God. John 14, 26, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You know, Mitch, Craig, Caleb, Eric, Wes, we have an embarrassment of excellent teachers in our church, and we should be thanking God every day for his kindness to give us such gospel-focused men who are leading and teaching us. But without the Spirit, both their teachings and our learnings would be in vain but they're not in vain. The teaching is effective and powerful because the Holy Spirit guides and teaches us through the ministry of his word. It is precisely the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes the preaching and the hearing of the word effectual. There can't be any deep spiritual understanding without the Holy Spirit. So the preacher needs the Holy Spirit in his communication of the word, and the listeners need the Holy Spirit in their reception of the word. 
and the teaching of the Holy Spirit, it always goes back to Christ. Remember that the ministry of Christ is primarily focused to direct us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not draw attention to himself. Though the Bible you know, clearly teaches us a lot about the Holy Spirit and we need to know about him, but the Holy Spirit's greatest work is to present Jesus Christ to us in all of his glory. But don't get confused here. I'm not saying that we can throw our Bibles out because now we have the Holy Spirit teaching us and everything we need to know in our own individual minds and hearts. Quite the opposite. The way we know what the Spirit is teaching us is by what is written in his words. The Bible is the divinely inspired word of God. It is breathed out by God and the Holy Spirit is the breath of God and is the one who filled these pages with his words. So you want to know what the Holy Spirit teaches? It's right here in the Bible, as plain as can be. We're not guided by our own thoughts and emotions, rather by his teachings. And so it is the Holy Spirit who is clarifying your understanding of doctrine and teaching you how to apply these truths to your lives. And a major way he applies these truths is in exposing and putting death to sin in the lives of believers. So the Spirit continues his work of confronting sin throughout the believer's life as he regenerates in their soul a deeper and more sincere conviction of their sin. Even though you, believer, have been united with Christ in faith, your earthly bodies still remain, which is why you struggle with sin and why you still fail at obeying God perfectly. But thankfully, his Spirit continues to do the convicting work so you may repent of your sin and actually put sin to death, all in order that you may become more like Christ. Romans 8, verses 12 through 14 say, So then, brothers, we are all debtors, not to flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us to put to death the, uh, the flesh that is in you. Our flesh is too strong for us to put to death, and frankly, you'll never be completely rid of it. It will always haunt us until the day that we die, but by God's grace, it is not our strength that we're relying on, but rather it's the strength of the Spirit through his strength and power, we can have victory over sin. In your fight against anger, you who believe have the power of the Holy Spirit to put anger to death and to pursue love. In your fight against jealousy, you who believe have the power of the Holy Spirit to put jealousy to death and to pursue gracious humility. In your fight against pornography, you who believe have the power of the Holy Spirit to put it to death and to pursue holiness and purity. How will you gain victory over worldliness? It's by the Spirit. Through the Spirit, you'll put it to death, at least temporarily, until it rears its ugly head again. And when sin shows itself in your lives again and again, as it will, it can be easy to doubt God's saving work. But thankfully, the Spirit gives believers the assurance of salvation. 
His work is an assuring work because we know that God abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us, 1 John 3.24. We already saw that we're sealed with Christ through the Holy Spirit, so we can never fall out of Christ or fall away from Christ or be removed from Christ because we are sealed shut with Christ. Romans 8.16 tells us that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The same Holy Spirit who convicted you and called you and regenerated you is now the same Holy Spirit who assures you that you belong to God. How do you know that you're a child of God? How do you know that you are a Christian? Because you see, see the work of the Spirit in you, changing your life, and the same Spirit is bearing witness within you that you belong to the Lord. And all that work he's done and is doing will one day be completed in our final salvation. We know that in the final days, Jesus Christ will return in triumph over his enemies and, bring, and finish bringing all his people to himself, the new heavens and the new earth. Here, all those who have been unified with Christ will receive glorified bodies. And it's here that the Holy Spirit completes the redemptive work of Christ in the lives of believers through that bodily resurrection. Romans 8 teaches us that the Holy Spirit glorified Jesus on the third day by raising him from the dead, and Scripture promises that those in Christ will also be raised from the dead, finalizing our salvation so that we may live eternally in the glory of God. Now for all of you who are outside of Christ, who have not repented of your sins and turned and called out to Christ for salvation, these blessings that we've been talking about, they're not for you. Outside of Christ, when God's people are receiving their final salvation, you will be receiving your final judgment. This final salvation is so glorious because we're brought into the presence of God to live with him eternally. And the final judgment is so horrible because you are cast out of God's presence into the lake of fire to live in agony away from him for all eternity. But you are being called by the Spirit right now through his word. Do you hear the Spirit wooing you? Is the Spirit convicting you of your sins? If he is, don't fight against his calling, but embrace it. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ. If God is convicting you of your sins by the Holy Spirit, have these benefits through his Son. Come to Christ in faith and be sealed in him forever through faith. So, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who works in our initial, continuing, and final salvation. But so what? How do these apply to our Christian walk? Firstly, you should be led by the Spirit. And when I say that, I'm betting some of you are getting a little squirmish in your seats hearing that you should be led by the Spirit. For those who bristle at that phase, let me assure you that to be led by the Spirit is not to be led by some autonomous or independent force or voice that's within you. Christians are not guided, taught, or led by the Spirit purely by some internal movement of emotions. Rather, being led by the Spirit 
is to be led by the scripture. Anytime someone tries to separate the spirit from the scriptures, you better watch out because that quickly becomes being led by their own thoughts and their own understanding rather than God's. And where is the spirit leading you? To Christ. In the same way that we must be wary of anyone trying to separate the work of the spirit from the scripture that the spirit breathed out, we must be wary of any ministry, denomination, church, or person that focuses primarily on the work of the spirit. The spirit's main ministries are to lead us to Christ, to follow him and to remain in him. So be led by the spirit by being led by the scripture. Secondly, trust in the help of the Holy Spirit. This means that you should trust in the help that the Lord provides you. And that help that he provides is the outpouring of the spirit, which is manifest mainly and is manifest most clearly in the church. You see the work of the spirit most clearly when you look at the church. You grow in the fruit of the Spirit by being held accountable within the church. You use your spiritual gifts given to you by the Spirit in the context of the church. So be led by the Spirit by listening to the preaching of Scripture and being regularly and intimately connected with the church body. And when you're in a season of doubt and tempted to withdraw, don't shy away in solitude, but lean back into the Word Lean back into worship and fellowship with other believers because that's precisely where the Spirit is at work. And lastly, we can have confidence in the work of the Spirit. Much like a child growing inch by inch not noticing, so too are we being conformed to Christ. If I look at my son, Elliot, he seems to be the same size every single day, but if I think back a couple of months to when he was born, oh my goodness, how much he's grown And it's the same with believers. If you look at your spiritual life, comparing day to day and hour by hour, you will probably be discouraged by your lack of spiritual growth. But if you look back months or years or decades, you will see amazing change. And if you're not seeing that growth over the years, if you're not encouraged by what you see when you're looking back, that's cause for taking serious account of the state of your soul. Because if you are in Christ, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and he will conform you to Christ. There are two pitfalls we can face when we're thinking about our assurance of our salvation in Christ. The first, you might be prone to self-doubt. Every time there is a correction or a sin is brought to your life, you feel guilty and question your salvation. And even now, as we're talking about it, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh boy, here's all these sins that I committed just today. I didn't love the Lord with all my heart today. And once again, you're questioning where you stand. Stop trusting in your own ability to hold yourself fast to God. Rather, have confidence in God's promises and trust in his ability to hold you fast. If it were up to you to hold on to your salvation, it would already be gone. But it is the Holy Spirit who seals us with Christ. We are marked as his with a seal that can never be broken. The other pitfall you might fall into is being complacent in your salvation. Christ's work doesn't just end at the cross. 
you were created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. Don't be complacent in your salvation. We rest in Christ's saving work because he completed the work that we could not do. But we strive and we run the race of continuing to follow Christ with endurance to the end. So don't resist the work of the Spirit in your life, but embrace it. When the leading and guiding of the word is pointing you in one direction and your desires lie in another, don't resist, don't resist where he's guiding you. Rather, glorify God in it. Put sin to death and be transformed into Christ's likeness more every day. We should have a great confidence in the power of God in our Christian life because the Holy Spirit is more than capable to enable you to carry out the will and the work of God. We are called simply to be faithful and leave the, re leave the results to him. So when we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we are confessing it is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and calls the elect to follow, to fellowship with Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who regenerates spiritually dead souls. It is the Holy Spirit who grants repentance and faith. It is the Holy Spirit who turns the heart around. It is the Holy Spirit who seals us in Christ and preserves us in all, uh, all preserves us all the way to His glory. So, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit will complete the saving work that he has started in you. You who have been given a new life and bound eternally with Jesus Christ are free to walk not in fear and uncertainty, but with a confidence that only he can provide. It is the work of the Holy Spirit who enables you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, how amazing is the person and work of the Spirit. Fill us here tonight with his power that we may endure in faith to the end. Convict our hearts of the heinousness of sin that we may turn from it and turn to Christ. Help us to be a Christ-centered church that is led by the Spirit. Give us a great confidence in your work. In Christ's name I pray, amen.